Today's message is one of those conversations with the prophet Moses. The journey had been a long one. By this time, the people of Israel were heading out for Mount Hor under Moses' leadership. But he was guiding them the long way around the land of Edom because Edom was still, the Edomites were still a threat to the Israelites. So rather than going through that land, Moses was guiding them around the land, which took them way out of the way. And so the people became impatient with this long journey. In verse 1 of our, I'm sorry, in verse 4 of our reading today, it tells us that. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. Now they'd been traveling through the wilderness now for nearly 40 years. They are hopeful that the promised land is right around the corner. They're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. But this tunnel seems to be going in a different direction than what they had hoped. And they begin to complain about this detour to Moses and to God. Detours can be frustrating. I was privileged last month to get my vaccine for this crazy virus that we have been fighting. And I have to tell you that I had to get up really early. My appointment was at 4.45 a.m. over at the State Farm Arena. So I got up, got ready, got on my way by 4 a.m. and was on the interstate heading west when all of a sudden I see those signs that I did not pay any attention to because I don't travel the interstate um, these days. Uh, the sign was that the interstate is closed ahead and that I'm going to have to take some detours. I thought, oh no, I am going to be late for my appointment. Will they still let me come in if I come in too late? And my blood pressure began to rise because I was frustrated. I didn't know that the interstate was going to be closed, and I didn't plan for that in my, in my time. I was forced to take a detour. I had not planned on this. Now, those of you who have ridden with young children in the car can perhaps relate as well. How much longer before we get there? How long do we have to stay in the car? Detours and delays frustrate us. Long journeys can frustrate us. And I've heard from some of you, how much longer must we worship like this? And like the parents speaking to their children, I tell you, we're almost there. We're almost there. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully no curves, no detours. But sometimes that's not enough to quell the complaints and the uprisings. The Israelites had become very angry. I mean, they were so frustrated that they really let their anger boil over. And they complained not only to Moses, but they complained to God. And what's interesting was that the complaint that they lodge is a unique one. 
because the, the word that the book of Numbers tells us that they used to complain to God was a word that only God and Moses had been able to use. When God complained about the people of Israelites, this is the Hebrew word that, that God used. When Moses complained to God about the Israelites, this was the Hebrew word that God used. The people were never allowed to use this word. But the Israelites at this point use it. It's almost sacrilegious. How much longer? Why do you have to do this to us? In the very final stage of their journey, the people of Israel use God's word of judgment against God. Forty years ago, they had been blessed by God to receive manna from the in the wilderness, manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And now they're complaining about the bread. It's the same thing. We've had it year after year for 40 years. Couldn't you send us some cranberry walnut bread at least? They're actually describing this manna, this gift from God, this bread from heaven, as worthless, as contemptible. Isn't it interesting that as we become discontent with some aspect of our lives, even the best gifts from God begin to lose their favor? I remember when the church made the decision, this was 30 years ago, to go to weekly communion. And when that decision was made, I remember one of the biggest arguments against switching from monthly communion to weekly communion was that communion would lose its special character, the special relationship that we had with it and with God. Well, now that we have been communing regularly up until the past year, now that we've been communing regularly, let me ask the question, has it lost that special character? Have people begun to take it for granted? Perhaps this year God has been testing us to see about our relationship with God and with the bread from heaven that we receive. Life is full of detours and changes and long journeys. And so one of the questions that I want to leave you with today to resonate in your being is how prepared are we spiritually? This is going to be a challenge for some of us. How prepared spiritually are we to encounter these detours, these challenges? In response to their rebellion, the people of Israel God sent fiery serpents and snakes. Now, I know in the most translations now they call it poisonous snakes. And that's a good attempt to try to keep it a literal translation, but also to keep it a relative translation. We don't think of fiery snakes. We think of poisonous snakes, right? But I like the word fiery because that's really the word that, the description of the word that's used here in the Hebrew 
And it may relate to the, the sting, the fire that comes from the venom when someone is hit by the snake. The snakes are a symbol for God's law here. The law, like the snakes, is sent to us that, that we might live, that we might live with grace and care and love for God and for one another. Now, if you're living in a land of serpents and snakes, which we know something about around here in the, in the desert, if you're living amongst these creatures, you must live with some care and some grace. Be careful that you don't step on one. But the law, like the serpent, doesn't just guide us into right living, safe living, loving God, caring for our neighbors. Sometimes the law, the serpent, comes to us to show us our rebellious nature. Sometimes the law points out to us that we need to start over with God. The challenge of the serpent is that if the serpent strikes us and we die, we are reminded of our mortality and of our need for God. Sometimes when we challenge God, it's kind of like the serpent will, will respond to us. Other times the law will respond to us. Other times when we're walking along, maybe the serpent just comes from behind and, and hits us. But no matter what happens, if we're hit by this snake, this poisonous, fiery snake, we die. The venom will kill us. And so too does the law. The law doesn't just keep us, guide us according to the right path to live. Sometimes the law also kills us with a purpose that we might be forced to trust God to bring us life once again. The snake, like the law, can be deadly. But we know that God does not desire the death of his people. He, what he really desires is that we would turn away from our, from our rebellion, our sin. Our greatest sin is unbelief, the greatest rebellion on earth. Now, if we're dealing with an addiction in our lives, we might call this hitting bottom. That's why I added that theme to the story of the bronze serpent, because what the serpent, the snake, the fiery snake does, what the law does, is it drives us to the point where we are finally hitting bottom. And we can no longer trust in ourselves. Now we are having to trust in someone else. And when we place our trust in God, God brings us new life. This is where real transformation takes place. A common current day illustration of this, I think, is, is the story of Batman Begins. I know some of you are thinking, oh no, Pastor Steve's going off on Batman again. Um, I know it's a favorite story of mine, but I grew up with it as a kid. What can I say? So in Batman Begins, we learn the backstory of how Bruce Wayne became the Batman. Do you remember what his greatest fear was? 
was bats. When he was a small child, he fell into a pit where the bats just flew around him and frightened him to death. And so he spent his childhood and his young adult years trying to combat his fear of bats. He studied ninja warrior tactics. He did everything he could to try to overcome the fear. But he wasn't able to do it by showing how powerful he is. Because he was afraid of bats, he knew that he needed to figure out a way to deal with the bats. Instead of trying to overpower the bats, he decided to stand among them. And so there's this powerful scene of where Bruce Wayne embraces his worst fear. Now, a little warning, if you go to see this little clip on your Google Drive or your um, internet, make sure that, uh, that you're aware that it might be frightening if you have a fear of birds or bats. Um, if you have a f uh, smaller children, this is per perhaps not appropriate for them to see. But it's, it's a powerful story of how he overcomes his fear by embracing his fear rather than running from it. And so he begins hunched down and then gradually he stands up as the bats fly around him and his focus is on the bats. And before long, his fear has dissipated. He then becomes the Batman to strike fear into every enemy of Gotham City. Quite a story. Now let's go back to Numbers. In this wilderness story, the serpent which strikes fear into the hearts of the people of Israel has also become the symbol of healing and new life for the very same people. What does God tell them to do? To run from their fear of the snakes? No. He says, gaze upon the snake. He tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and to put it on a post or a pole. And when people were bit by a snake, they were to look at the bronze serpent for healing. You see, the serpent, the snake, was a symbol of two things. It was a symbol of evil power, of chaos and fear. But the serpent, the snake, was also a symbol of power and fertility and healing and new life. Gazing upon the bronze serpent was facing your worst sin. That sin that we talked about earlier, the sin of rebellion and of unbelief. Gazing upon the bronze serpent was looking to God as the law for the guidance in your life. Do you remember the law? The Ten Commandments are most, um, most common that we remember. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shall not take the, the, the Lord's name in vain. I switched those two around. Those were the ones in relationship to God. Then we went into the ones in relationship to our neighbor. You shall love your mother and your father and honor them. 
You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, and you know the rest. So these laws, this law, was given to us as a guide for our lives. Gazing upon the bronze serpent was looking to God as the law, as the guidance for your life. And gazing upon the bronze serpent was also to experience the gift of healing, the power of God's transformative healing to bring a new life. Now some of you are wondering, how did Moses ever discover the Batman series? And I have to tell you, I'm sorry, but it may be the other way around. DC Comics discovered Moses. Or perhaps the bronze serpent is a reminder for all of us that there is a difference between us and God. You see, the serpent stood between the dead, those who were not willing to look to God, stood between the dead and the living. The living were those who were willing to look to God, who were willing to repent of their past and to look with new life and to to begin to think, how can I live differently? How can I love my neighbor? And when I love my neighbor, what a powerful way for me to love God. This story not only marks the transformation from evil, rebellion, and chaos into healing and new life, but it also marks the transformation from a wilderness generation to a new generation standing on the edge of the promised land. So this is a powerful story for Israel and for us because it marks not just the challenge of moving from death to life, but it also marks the challenge of moving from a wilderness people to a promised land people. And that's not the only place that it concludes. Jesus also uses this image several times in the New Testament, but the one in particular that I want to point out this morning occurs in John chapter 3 as he is engaged, Jesus is engaged by a Pharisaic religious leader who is a member of the Sanhedrin. We know him as Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark of night because he doesn't want to be identified as a prominent Pharisee coming to speak to Jesus. But when he does come in the night to speak to Jesus, he lauds him with this great praise. Oh, you're a great leader and a great teacher and a great healer, and we think you're amazing. And... But that doesn't make any difference to Jesus. Jesus looks at Nicodemus before he can even ask a question, and this is what he says to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoa. <laughs> no questions, just a statement. Unless you are born again, Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That had to be a bit alarming to, to Nicodemus, who was probably preparing to ask his very well-planned out, thought-out intellectual question. But instead, Jesus tells him what it means to truly live as a child of God. 
Nicodemus cannot comprehend the concept of new life. What do you mean? I have to be born through my mother again? That's not even possible. What are you talking about, Jesus? He can't comprehend that Jesus is talking about a new life that comes through repentance and faith. Sometimes we are so caught up in our traditions and in our thoughts and our understandings of God that we fail to see and to hear God speaking to us about renewal, how our lives need to be revived through our confession, our repentance, our belief, and our faith. Nicodemus has so much religious and biblical knowledge that some of it seems to get in the way. Jesus finally tells him that no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. However, Jesus says, there is one who has come from heaven and one day will return to heaven. Who do you think he's talking about? Yeah, you're right. He's talking about himself. Let's take a look at where Jesus says that to Nicodemus later on in John chapter 3. This is verses 13 through 17. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Did you hear the power of that statement? Let me reread those two verses there. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then we have the famous verse. You always see it at the football game, right? But they only put one half of it up. It's actually verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that so everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then it says this in verse 17. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus knew a thing or two about this story of the bronze snake. You suppose he and Moses talked about it up on the Mount of Transfiguration? No, we don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is drawing upon that particular image, that particular story, as he is referring to his own purpose, his own mission on life to Nicodemus. Are people like Nicodemus willing to lift up their eyes and gaze to a wooden cross, a symbol of, of evil and evil power, a symbol of death, a symbol of shame? Is Nicodemus willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? 
You see, just as the Israelites gazed upon the bronze serpent, the law of God, to give them life, so we, as followers of Jesus, are called to gaze upon his cross, the symbol of shame. We are called to gaze upon the cross so that we can place our trust in God through Jesus, his son, who came to suffer and to die and to be raised again from the dead in order that we might have life. That is what gives us new life. Jesus, his death, his resurrection. And as Jesus told us, God sent him into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. You see, God wants you to experience new life. Earlier, I asked the question that I wanted us to think about through this message and through the week. Life is full of detours and changes. How prepared are we? How prepared are you? How prepared am I spiritually to deal with these detours and changes? Do we want to complain against God? Or do we want to gaze upon the cross of Jesus? Another way of saying this might be, what have you been looking at lately? Where have your eyes been gazing? Is it time to turn them back to the cross? Amen.